0: That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 251 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher and Spotify, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here, let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman, and with me like the reputation of evil that precedes the Sith and their attack on the Republic, a man with a timeline and a doctorate of fun stuff, our own Dr. Jim Lehane! I
1: wouldn't say I was evil, just misunderstood. <laughs> Not a doctor of evil, right? <laughs> a doctor of evil. Yes, yes. I haven't seen that movie in forever. <laughs> I know,
0: I know. I was just making comments about it because I'd seen somebody have posted some funny, uh, more political things, but I was like, oh, that's a great line for an Austin Powers movie. Uh, but man, how have you been? Like, I, I, I feel like it hasn't been as long between recordings this time around.
1: No. Um, I, I was super stressed with work uh, through August, and um, we had actually recorded right at the beginning of september or end of it was the end of august uh Mm -hmm. when like stuff was piling up on top of other stuff and once the end of august hit all my work basically ended and so (laughs) it's uh i've been on a forced vacation uh apparently and so i've been working on my own i do a lot of uh um geology uh, related things, and so um, that's why I, geology-related writings, and that's what mm-hmm. I've been working on. Is uh, um, I have a, a website called Drunk on Geology that goes was, into the background. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, was gonna, it goes into the background of like geology-themed alcohols and what the name means and how it relates to the the region where the alcohol comes from. And so okay, um, I recommend people go check it out. It's uh, I, I have fun doing it, and
0: that sounds fun. Man, I mean, speaking of forced vacations, I mean, as we were talking about uh, north, uh, north, not northwest, all of the west coast is on fire right now. Northeast, west, and south from where I'm at, it's practically burning everywhere. Uh, We got smoke all around us. The studio, in fact, where I'm sitting right now, is smokier than normal. Um, So I apologize now if I don't edit out all my coughing in between (laughs) because yeah, it's definitely uh, feels like you're living in smog filled LA at the moment
1: smokier than usual? What kind of level of smoke do you normally have in the studio? It's <laughs> not good
0: for the books. It's definitely not good for the collection. I was told to keep it out of the collection. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, we got some fun in store. So... star wars beyond the films we ask the tough questions questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on you ponder about star wars and so do we this episode we ponder star wars tales of the jedi fall of the sith empire now before we get too deep into the spoiler territory we'll give you a quick spoiler free rundown just be sure to jump off at tarkin's arrogance The Sith Empire has rallied its forces for an all-out battle for control of the galaxy. Their goal? Crush the Republic. And with so many Sith Masters among them, the goal is not unachievable. As Naga Shadow readies his fleet to attack, one lone person threatens to undermine the entire campaign. Jori Dargana. She isn't a Jedi. She doesn't come from a military background or have a history of fighting. She's an explorer, a mapper of hyperspace who stumbled on the plans of the Sith, and she just may be the savior of the Republic. Now, before we get into the deep nitty-gritty of our spoiler-free review, we're going to talk about things like, was it any good? Was it accessible? How was the art? And should it be adopted into canon? And of course, we're going to circle back around for a second pass on that one after we do our spoiler review. So with that, Jim, let's jump into the nitty-gritty.
1: So yeah, uh, first off, I don't think we mentioned, like, who wrote... And did all the comic stuff last time, so uh, probably should mention that now. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, both uh, The Last Golden Age of the Sith and The Fall of the Sith Empire were written by Kevin J. Anderson uh, of the mostly novel fame. Yeah. Um, he had jumped back to do these. He took over the... the. We probably mentioned this. He took over for uh, from Tom Veach, who did a lot of the... Uh, Oh, my word. Dad. What is the name of the series again? <laughs> Knights of the Old Republic series. Uh, <laughs> I am. I'm going good. Today. No, it's it's not <laughs> early at all. Um, and one thing I found interesting is like the artwork between the two series you had like the zero issue is kind of its own thing. And we know we noted that that the art was completely different in the zero issue as the regular issue. Uh, but here we have in the the Golden Age of the Sith. The pencils were by Mark Hike, Bill Black, and David Jacob Beckett, with inks by Perry Mc, McNamee, and colors by Dave Nestel and mm-hmm. Perry N- McNamee. I am massacring names left and right.
0: Still um, doing better than me.
1: But the inter- <laughs> yeah. But the interesting thing is that the those all the people that did the pencils on the Golden Age of the Sith shifted to doing inks on the um, Fall of the Synth Empire, and the pencils were done by somebody completely different, Dario Carrasco. Interesting. And then the colors are different, too, by Ray Murtaugh. And I found, like, the artwork in many places was similar, Mm -hmm. but it was noticeably different and noticeably worse, I would say.
0: Right. It definitely had the feel of number zero in the last arc kind of was how you felt most of this was across. At least that's how I, I perceived it.
1: Yeah, there's like some parts that I'm like, okay, maybe the art isn't that bad. It's like, it, it looks pretty good. And then you get to one page and you go, what has happened to this page? And it's, <laughs> it's like Odin-er um, has been like drawn on and then somebody kind of like smeared him across the page.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there were definitely moments where I was like, What's going on with the panel placement? Like there were a couple two page spreads that once I read it two or three times, I realized that I wasn't supposed to read, you know, all of the left page and then the right page I was supposed to go over the top and then come around the bottom. I was like, uh, and there was a couple key moments when that happened where if you didn't read it quite right, it got a little confusing, I, but I think that I
1: noticed that exactly too. I, I would read a panel and I would go, I'm, I'm, I have no idea what's going on. And so I'd go back and go, <laughs> oh, I read it in the wrong order.
0: (laughs) Right. It's interesting, though, that the pencilers swapped from the last one because I feel like the first arc, you know, Golden Age of the Sith, was definitely a more sketched out type of art style. You could see the the line details and things, you know, the crisscrosses, the horizontal lines, the vertical lines and stuff like that. Really a lot of shading with lines. You don't have much of that in this one. Yeah, Um, yeah, definitely. And and I I definitely think that that switch really shifted that. I mean, I I think if you go from being a penciler to an inker, it makes you wonder how, you know, the person that was doing that in the first arc, if they were one of the group that was doing the, you know, the, the coloring in the second one, if they were just like really mad about the way the job was done. You know, like when you open a store a certain way and then someone else covers your shift for one day and you come in and you're like, what did you do? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, too. I, I found it really interesting because it's like it's not one person, it was an entire group of three people that moved from pencils to inks. Like, exactly, all three just shifted down. And I thought that was, I'm like, that's very interesting. And normally, I don't like the artwork, rarely gets my attention. It's unless it's absolutely terrible or really different and mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, the, the one style is, uh, oh, there's a like a Boba Fett Bounty Hunters and Legends that was uh, like absolutely phenomenal art style. And I really loved it. I can't remember the the uh, exact uh, arc that it was, but it like really stood out in my mind. And then you get things I know you've mentioned this before, but uh, Knights of the Old uh, Republic, um, (laughs) the uh, when they did mashed
0: potato face.
1: Yes, it was the the arc where they fly a vector vector when they did the vector series and the vector for Knights of the Old Republic it was like did somebody not get the memo that this should be a serious arc and not the cartoony style
0: <laughs> right right and when like the rest oh. of the
1: artworks were like like really spot on it's it just seemed very out of place and it's like things like that that catch my attention but normally like when I'm reading an art like I I paid attention to it in this but normally I don't it doesn't catch my attention
0: right yeah you know, and this one was a little different in the aspect that you know the la- the first one we did the last issue episode that we put out was you know the the beginning of this this one kind of jumps right in the middle and the first one was written in such a way that you kind of felt like you were jumping in the middle this one it's very clear you're jumping in the middle. I don't necessarily feel like it messes with the accessibility of the comic though because like it kind of hits the ground running uh you know granted. Jim and I are reading this in the omnibus forum. So we didn't have opening little crawls and stuff like that. in each issue, this one just jumps right in. There's no, you know, synopsis, no summary or any of that. I had to take that from the single issue and, and and apply it to this episode, because again, we're reading it from the omnibus, but if you're just jumping into this issue from the omnibus, I think it kind of hits the ground running. I mean, you get the vital, important things, you know, Jory's on the run. She's trying to bring a message that the Sith empire is about to attack the Republic. And from that point on, that's her plot. Her struggle is getting to the Empress Tita. You know, I mean, everybody's against her. I mean, everything that happened in the last story arc has kind of set her up as looking like a criminal and on the shady side of things. So it makes sense for her story arc, the way we come in, just to hit the ground running. And I think that it makes it pretty accessible for being what it is.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I would say, like, because clearly this is of the tales of the Jedi series. That's what I meant before Um, of the tales of the Jedi series. This is book five and we're reading it as the second book um, chronologically. And Mm -hmm. I would say it fits as a second book or a fifth book, but I don't necessarily would say it would be a good introduction point just because you're right. it, It you're, you're dropped into the middle of the situation of which most of that situation had already been set up in the first arc or the last arc, um, as the case mm-hmm. may be.
0: Right, which which gets us to something that we're going to really touch on here in a minute when we get into the spoiler issue, is what we're calling the missing 10 years. Um, the last arc, Golden Age of the Sith, it launches around approximately 5,000 BBY. And then this one is now 10 years later, which we'll really get into that in a second, because that is something that popped up for both Jim and I. I was like, wait a minute, how does that work out? I mean, you think about There are some aspects of the story that still haven't been told. And like you said, this is actually the fifth one. But if you look at the overall narrative outside of just this small scope of Tales of the Jedi, you know, the background stories that have been put out there from games like uh, KOTOR, the Old Republic and stuff like that, like there is more backstory for a character in the Old Republic who becomes the immortal emperor who is actually functioning right now. Um, At this point he's like even about a hundred and I think he's 113 almost 114 years old at the time of this story when this story ends is basically his moment to seize power. And sets up the Sith Empire that Revan will later come and be seduced to the dark side for in the KOTOR games. So there's some elements of this that when we were talking even about the last issue, Golden Age of the Sith. And we were talking about how the fact that the Sith name and stuff was showing up. And, and again, it'll happen in this arc. And it kind of gets a little confusing. But if you think about the later added-ons to the full-on narrative of what's going on in this time frame. Some of that makes a lot more sense. Some of it doesn't. Uh, but we'll get into that more as we go forward. Um I I really think, you know, I'm conflicted on this one. I want to say it's a good story, but I think I come from that angle in the overall aspect. Like, I really enjoy this era, but I don't know if this story is going to be as good as the last one. I, 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 I say yes, but again, I keep applying the overall factor, and I really like the layers upon layers of the different publishing and media and stuff that has really fleshed this era out. One of the things Jim and I were talking about before the show started is how when you're reading this story, There is no humans on the Sith Empire side of things. But if you look at the history of what's going on, that's not the case. I mean, even the character uh, Vitat that becomes the uh, immortal Sith Emperor was a human, and yet he was living in in one of the Sith. Um, We know that around the same time frame, uh, Omen and Harbinger from... uh, Lost Tribe of the Sith, and from Cross Current, were part of Naga Sado's army. When the battle that's going on in this book is happening, those two crews are going to get stranded, one on a planet, one in time, and their stories will be told later. But they are also a part of this Sith Empire, and they are very mixed breed. They're not all Maasai. They're not all Sith species. There are some humans. There are some interbred. And that is not something that you see in this story at this time. But those extra layers added to it adds to the mosaic of this time frame. And what I think is cool is, because like, we talk about this again before the show, is there's a moment where Gav is put in charge of the Sith Empire. And as a human, it seems very odd that everybody would be okay with it. And in this story, if you're only looking at the story, it is odd. But if you look at that overall tapestry of the fact that there were humans involved in the stuff and that the Sith knew of humans, they knew of the Republic, the Republic knew of the Sith, then it does make more sense. And the fact that he is put in that position of power, it it makes a reason for them not to question that because yes, there are humans in their group. There are humans acting as Sith Lords. There are other people in, the, in there that were outside the Sith species functioning in their society, but we don't see that in this one. So I like that overall tapestry of how it works. And I think that that definitely shades my, is it any good when I think about the story? I think I have to really search my soul and only base this on the merits of just this one story, and that will be a little harder for me. But I think if I do, I think the reality here is this story isn't as good as I hoped it would have been.
1: Yeah, I would say like uh, on top of what you had said, that this is actually one of the most important Legends stories right now. Like We're dealing with um, we're, what, six years into the the Disney era of Star Wars. They rebooted canon. Um, Mm -hmm. Legends is all but essentially dead except for a few instances one of those instances mm-hmm. is the old republic MMO is still going on and yep. this story is the basis like the, the start of that storyline it all begins here. I'm reading, uh, I mentioned last episode, I'm reading the uh, the Old Republic Encyclopedia, which is told from an in-universe perspective, but oh my word, it is long and slow to read, and kind of obnoxious uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> at times, um, <laughs> but it does give a background on the, the Sith Empire, and where the uh, the Sith Emperor, too, and where does the Sith Emperor come from, and it, like you had mentioned, it he comes from this story. He's not in this story, but they use this story as his basis. And where this story ends is where his story kind of kicks off. And
0: uh Yeah, when when they talk about the relationship between uh can't I mean I, I call him vitatat but he had a different name, it was like Tenebra or something like that at this point. Which always Even confused comes, me
1: because there there is a Darth Tenebris. And uh right, I, I saw right. that I'm like that's a weird name to use for him when you already have a Darth Denebris to start with, but whatever.
0: Right. <laughs> well, and, and and with most Sith things too, the, the constant renaming of characters too, which adds to it. But but when I saw that, you know, it was basically Marcus Ragnus that had get, made him vitatat and gave him a world and stuff, and that he was kind of just experimenting on that planet. Like it was an interesting way to put him in the narrative of this arc and yet keep him completely out of it. Like, I think that's a brilliant aspect because this era here and, and you go from the golden age into this one and, and all the background stories that are overlapping and stuff. I think that that's what makes the Sith such a fascinating species in legends. Um, I really hope that Canon does something really cool with the Sith you know, we don't, we don't have them being a species. We don't really know the origin of the order. As we mentioned in the last episode, I think that that's a cool opportunity that if they go back to kind of look at what happened before and look at what worked and how it intertwined and take the best ideas and do something new with it. Um, you know, I, I, I've been very intrigued about that. And that is one of the things about the story that I loved is going back and seeing what that history was and how that narrative worked. And as the story goes along, you see the references to the Sith. And again, if, if you don't have that overall mosaic of what's going on in Legends, you're kind of like, well, why are they? How do they know if this is their first contact with them? Which it does. It comes across like this is their first contact. But the reality is, is no, they've, they've clearly had some other contacts with Sith and with the Sith Empire specifically, um, and if you think about Dawn of the Jedi, we know that you know the greater public knew of Chiss, and they knew of Sith, and they knew of all these other species. So at some point, either something happened that they became you know lost, uh, or or disassociated with the rest of the galaxy, or they decided to isolate themselves. Uh, but somehow through that. The idea that the Sith were kind of like boogeymen definitely comes across, even though you don't know what that connection was. You definitely get everybody's reaction to Jory when she mentions that the Sith Empire is coming. He's like, "Ooh, the big boogeyman's coming!" Kind of like they're like they're all mocking the hell out of
1: it. I just wondered. I just wondered if that was because she's making up these words that they these people don't know about, right? Like, uh, like the, the Sith Empire's coming. It's like, sure, sure it is. <laughs> this is this big bad Sith,
0: you say. And it could be played that direction, too. I mean, that's that's the beauty about it. But I, I like that the struggle for her, it's, one, wanting to get her brother back, getting back the family. But it's it's being able to tell the story. She's trying desperately to warn everybody. And ironically her warnings are almost pointless. Like, I mean, in fact, if it wasn't for certain visions of certain Jedi, those visions really gave the most advanced warning to the Republic than even Jory did because no one would listen to Jory. They immediately, like, lock her up and and just push her off to the side. So for that character point of view there is a lot of frustration going on and i i kind of appreciated that aspect of it it made it a more personal story in the midst of all this galaxy spanning conflict and change that's about to happen
1: yeah i would say we don't we can even mention like it was odin's like vision cuz he had it in the last series like this is a, a continuation of the golden age uh where they went to coruscant and tried to um get the the republic to do something about this and the republic isn't
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um yeah so that's a um I, fa- I found that fascinating as well and it was kind of a frustrating aspect not frustrating like in the story but like you could feel the frustration from the story like just 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 do mm-hmm. something
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. so our last spoiler free question here is you know, Could it be adopted into canon? I think with this one, I think it's an even easier guess than it was the last one. Um, there's less Force ghosts and things like that that you'd have to address these questions of where you're going to go forward with it. I think that with this one, just about everything could be just copied and pasted right in. If If you were deciding to do something similar with what they were doing with the Sith or not, because of the narrative here of this story, it being just a Sith species... You know, you could you could choose to keep them just one cis species or you could choose to make them an order of of, you know, dark side users. I think either one would work with this story if you wanted to take and copy and paste it.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I would say this is even easier than the last one, just because also it's a essentially the end of an era story mm-hmm. that even though it's the fifth out of six trade paperbacks, um, this was meant as a, a two parter. It was a golden age in the fall are a two-part story that takes place around 5,000 years before um, uh, the Battle of Yavin, where the next story chronologically is 1,000 years later. This is its own little self-contained pocket of stories, and you could take both of these, um, even as a bundle, and drop them in Mm -hmm. into new canon. And I'd say just the way this one ends um, allows for the The creation of um uh, allows for it to fit into Canon regardless because it ends on one of those everything's neat and tidy and cleaned up sort of
0: thing. well and speaking of fitting in neat and being clean and tidy I mean that's one aspect of knowing where you're gonna place a story that is important um, we're about to really get into the spoilers here with this part we've talked about it before, but it's that ten year difference here you know if if Golden Age of the Sith was set five thousand years ago and this one is. Ten years later, what happened to ten years? So with that, we're going to jump into our spoilers, guys, gals, for all ages. Here we go. We've analyzed their attacks, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by?
1: Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their
0: chances. So consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go, on another adventure beyond the films
1: all right so as mark was saying uh, we're talking about this 10-year gap and you may be wondering yourself like what are you talking about what is this 10-year gap um and so at least in the trade paperbacks and i'm assuming they get the trade paperback information from the comic books i could double check that but i'm not opening my comics um It says right in our trade, I'm looking at right here, approximately 4,990 years before the Battle of Yavin, where the, the previous one said approximately 5,000 years before the Battle of Yavin. And you're, and this is specifically mentioned then as 10 years after the previous arc. And when they do that, not all of the comic will often fit into that time frame. We, we noticed with the Golden Age of Sith that clearly that zero issue did not take place at the same time as the rest of the issue. Mm-hmm. Because there had to be a gap in time. And so we're now assuming that most of that series takes place at 5,000. The zero issue must take place sometime before that. Well, where does this take place? It starts off immediately after the end of the last issue. Um, Jory just arrives back at uh, the Empress Tita system. She... It, I doubt it took her 10 years to fly there. She doesn't look any older. Yeah. Um, there is
0: some narrative in this story that does lead to their being in the Sith empire could have taken anywhere from one to two, maybe even three months because there is a line yeah. where they talk about, they had an opportunity to appeal the court's ruling on what was going to happen to their ship and Sissix. Uh, the merchant guy that lost his ship. He gets awarded their ship, and they're like, Well, you had time to appeal. You guys didn't appeal. So I'm assuming that that had to have meant that they were on the run, so to speak, or trapped in the Sith Empire for a few months. So that the last story, the second half of it, had to have at least taken a couple months. But the only thing I can think of in my mind to make any sense of this is that the Zero issue had to have been at 5,000 and that the rest of that story had to have been about nine to eight years later to ten years later itself. Or... They were in the Sith Empire for a lot longer than one to two months. I mean, one to two months seems like the most logical. Yeah. But it might not be the most reasonable to explain away 10 years worth of time.
1: Yeah, I would say you're probably right is that what they the Zero Issue started at 5,000 and then that you have that 10-year gap of time. And when the regular issue, a regular like story takes place, that's not how it's treated now. Um, nobody right. treats it like everybody treats it that issue taking place 5,000 years, the entire series minus the zero issue. So, we're basically got to assume that everything's 5,000 years, and then this, the fall of the Sith Empire, really takes place depending on where you look. Um, my own timeline, I have it taking place a year later, uh, at 49.99, just to kind of separate them out a little. Um, mm-hmm and the like the 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 old republic um has a tendency to place what happens in this issue of the great hyperspace war as taking place in 5000 bby and mm-hmm. so you you're really basically getting rid of that 10 year gap anywhere you look it, it doesn't exist anymore there...
0: right and you could even say that the end of this arc where you see you know sado On the planet where he hides out and he's building a temple, you could say that those temples took maybe even eight to 10 years and that the last two pages jump forward the 10 years to give you that gap. But yeah, there's definitely one of those, you know, you see these dates and you start lining them up on paper and there's some serious questions, which gets to that aspect of. Why it's important to have a date locked down, especially when, you know, this story, when it first came out, there was nothing else around it. But then they tied in other stories. And it's when you have all those other narratives of the other characters talking about things that things start to not line up when you don't have your date picked from the start. Which has always been one of those things about with Disney taking over with the canon and them choosing to be vague about dates of stories that I'm like... You know better than this. As an IP, you have seen what happens when you play loose with these dates. Like I've never understood that, that thought process when it comes to storytelling. You lock in a time frame and you tell your story in that time frame. If you leave it vague, anytime you shift from 100 years to another 100 years, there is a lot of things that can have changed in the background of the culture of the planet's That might not work with the story if you had it intended for one 100 years and then you jump forward to another 100 years and so on and so forth. I mean, 10 years doesn't seem like that much, but here we are sitting here trying to figure it out. It doesn't line up.
1: Yeah, and even in the story, when you like, I kept the the entire time I was reading the story, I was waiting for it to jump in time. I'm like, well, maybe it's kind of like the Clone Wars, where we saw the beginning of the Clone Wars and then we saw the end of the Clone Wars. Eventually, they went back and kind of filled in the middle, or um, but. Really, like, if you just look at the movies, we saw the beginning and we saw the end. Maybe that's what we are going to do here. We're going to see the beginning of the Great Hyperspace War. We're going to see the end of the Great Hyperspace War, and then we're going to have a gap in the middle. But they don't leave a gap. There is no time during this story that there is a gap in time. It is right. a, a, a continuous um, battle, and there is nothing. There, there's literally there's no there's no break in it. Uh, then. Um, and which is another major failing that I find in this is that you have something called the great hyperspace of war and it takes place over like the period of a couple hours. <laughs>
0: like, right. Right. And, and I think that that too is the aspect of the added layers. Cause when you go into the, uh, the stories for Omen and you go into the stories for Harbinger, they're looking for what's called Ligdom crystals. And it's essential to the battle of, of uh, was it Carrick, which is where Odin Ur is fighting during this whole battle. Um, you know, because the battle is taking place on multiple worlds and multiple sectors and multiple sections of the galaxy. So, I mean, in that regard, if you assume that when that battle goes down, that there is more time frame there, you know, there are aspects that you could take time and, and stuff and, and start Pulling dates out, like okay, here's ten, ten months, or or you know three months. What happened here? And like I said, when you get to the very end and you see you know Jory come into the Empress's chamber and you see what's going on with Sado and everything, you know you could be like, okay, well five years have passed, and you know slowly whittle away that ten years in that regard. But it takes somebody looking at that, thinking about that, and plotting that because they just didn't from the start, and that's definitely one thing that I will say is is the a flaw of this type of storytelling. I mean, when you, when you're trying to do that over layering aspect, it's important that you have the dates, right?
1: Yeah. And like, yeah, like I said, my biggest issue is that they tried to cram too much into too short a time period. And it's a thing that is constantly reoccurring um, in Canon and in legends is that they try to take these major events and cram them down into one storyline instead of letting them live and breathe as their own separate things. Uh, I right. I am constantly reminded of the the Ben Solo comic series. If you read that, it basically is how Ben goes from Ben to Ren, mm-hmm. and they whittled it down into like what five, four, four, six issues. And yeah, like,
0: was, I think it was five. Yeah, and it was just like it was so. cool.
1: And I'm like, you could have made this literally an ongoing series and let it flesh itself out and over this longer period of time. And no, you need to get that story done. You needed to finish it. And I'm like, this is exactly what happened here. It's like they they were five trade paperbacks into this uh, arcs into this line and they're like yeah we're just going to get this one done we don't really (laughs) we don't need to flesh out this uh, great hyperspace war when it could really have used it at least give it a gap in time so that you can like flesh it out later if you wanted to
0: right right oh man and could just imagining what that Ben Solo comic would have been as an ongoing Oh, that would have been so good all right. All right. So,
1: look All right. looking at the fall of the Sith Empire. Uh basically, like I said, we are jumping back into the story. When we last saw Jori, she was fleeing from the Sith Empire uh basically by Naga shadows 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 whatever we want to call them. Um Nagas, we'll just call him Naga. Uh Naga's uh prompting because he I guess he oh he needed her to trace the direction back to the um back to the republic because they didn't know how to get there and I'm assuming they didn't know how to read it off their ships because they right. they they constantly mentioned that it was locked into their ships that they can't lose their ships and I'm guessing that the Sith just don't know that technology so they needed her to go back and be able to, to track her back. And so she arrives back in the Empress Tita system, she tries to get a um, an audience with the Empress Tita when she is immediately arrested uh, upon just arriving back in the system and contacting the ground. They're like, oh, we remember you. Here, come fly with us. And they <laughs> they immediately arrest her. And so we have two storylines essentially going on simultaneously. We have her storyline and we have... The Sith Emperor, Sith Empire's storyline, where um, uh, Naga is getting ready to invade the Republic, and kind of prompting, propping up Gav, who Gav is a real pain in this series. Mm-hmm. He's like you you said there'd be no blood spilled yeah yeah no blood i'm just going to take over your entire republic and there'll be no blood spilled
0: uh-uh. right right he is pretty quick to side with sado and he i mean he's like i'll do it for jewelry and i'm just like dude you're being an idiot like <laughs> i mean and of course you know sado's also bribing him with gems and things like i i had to kind of question like everything i know about the sith Gems aren't just gems, you know, like they imbue gems with dark side powers. They use them for amulets. Like when you see him dump a bunch of those gems into Gaz's hand, there's a part of me that's like, I wonder if one of those is affecting him, you know, because Gaz's making a lot of really stupid stupid choices (laughs) and he's not thinking things through at all because like you said the whole being peaceful and no blood spilled and and i like the fact that he's like we're gonna need more blood he's like blood is it not like that like
1: (laughs) yeah it's like literally calls it out and and you're right like i would say the simplest explanation is that cav is just a moron like (laughs) there is no other explanation for this like like really how many you literally just came from a system that was in a war for quote unification and how many people died during that war that you just came from and now you're like <laughs> basically spearheading a new unification system you don't think you think this is going to go smoothly like what kind of moron are you
0: <laughs> right i mean so bad that that my son's named gavin but I've never thought about the fact that there is a Gav character. I, I would never associate this Gav with why I named my son Gavin. No, I named my son Gavin after Gavin Darklighter. <laughs> this guy, this Gav is not very smart. This Gav, I want to make sure my son never hears of. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this guy gets what he deserves.
0: And and speaking of never heard of, I mean, you know, for, for coming up with it, you'd be surprised that that. No one's really ever heard of Gavin or Jory after this. Like, their names weren't, they're no Nomi Sunrider or Exar Coon where the names kind of, like, ring on through the annuals of history. No. Like, they're quickly kind of forgotten about. Well,
1: <laughs> uh, I, I find it funny as, like, um, somewhere during this arc, they're like, your names will be remembered through history. No. No, <laughs> they won't. Because you literally are the fall, of, like, you are the, the start of this entire thing.
0: <laughs> yep, yep. Oh man, and and then when when she gets there, like he said, I mean, they immediately start locking her up. The Merchants Guild, and that was interesting. So the Merchants Guild decided to forfeit the ship to Sis Cower, and. They're part of the Navigationers Guild. So I'm like, is, is, did the guilds get together and hash this out? Or are the Merchants Guild's like, just like, we got this. You guys stay out of this. Like, <laughs> how do the guilds work? I'm kind of more curious than ever.
1: <laughs> yeah. well, I just found, yeah, it's like, um, they, uh, that the trend Ocean is like, I lost a lot of money. I get your ship now.
0: I'm like, yeah,
1: I don't think that's how it would work in like the real world that you chose to use a risky hyperspace lane that's kind of on you. Like they told you mm-hmm. it was risky. Like they mentioned yeah. in the story, this is risky. Oh, it'll be fine. Oh, we lost a lot of money. Blame the people that routed the route. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's really how it would work. You, you'd kind of lose in court.
0: Right. We do flash. We get to see uh Jedi order and Ur and Nemet, Nadil, uh, Nadil enters the library. It's funny that, and I don't know if the formality of this just makes them feel older, but they use full names. Like, Odanur, Naminadil, how are you doing? Like, <laughs> it just, every time that happens, and it happens more than just like, like once I get, like, you know, you want the, the narrative to explain to the reader who this person is, you give them their full name. I, I get that. But when you do it over and over and over again, you kind of feel like this is like the cultural normal. And it seems a little weird. <laughs> I'm down with it, but it definitely seems a little weird. <laughs>
1: Well, how would you shorten Odin? Uh, Odin or oh
0: Oh. Right. Well, well oh. at least with Odin or it's it's got a dash and you're like, "Okay, it's one name." It's kind of like the the calling Obi just Obi-Wan or instead of calling Obi-Wan Obi-Wan, you call him just Obi or just uh Qui-Gon Qui or something, you know? Like it was him I get it. Like I call him Er a lot, but it's, it's more Memet. It's like calling him Memet Nedil all the time. It's just like, "Just call him one or the other, man. You don't need both. There's no hyphen here." <laughs>
1: Call, it's just master. Call them by master.
0: The ships, though, I would say the ships of this era are definitely weird looking. You know, they've got that real bulky kind of. Uh, reminds me the most of Mandalorian technology. Like everything you see of old ancient. I mean, granted, it's all in the same time frame in the art frame, so that's why I draw to that. But most of these ships. I naturally apply to Mandalorian technology. Like they all have that basculus kind of look to them. Like big, bulky, all sorts of stuff strapped to the outside. And even the Sith ships, like they got all this hardware and stuff and then they've got big panels on the outside, almost like Jabba skiff kind of thing. Like they've just put the armor plates on as an afterthought.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd say out of all the ships, I I still I really like the Starbreaker 12, which is Gavin Jory's ship. Um I, I find that design pretty cool they they clearly spent the most time trying to design that whereas you're right the other ships are kind of bulky and it's um mm-hmm. i I could see where they're trying to tie it into like the star wars we all know but it's not terribly working like the uh, the um Empress Tita's uh, military ships kind of have an x-wing tie fighter kind of like bug feeling to them they have like an x cross but the the wings are curved backwards and yeah it looks uh more insectile than ship really and right
0: it's a hard bridge but what i I find interesting is a lot of the structures and everything of this time frame is very egyptian feeling you know lots of pyramids lots of ancient stone structures Hmm. and yet with that You've got space flight. You've got technology that's so advanced that they're able to leave the planet and stuff. And yet, at the same time, like... You know, I mean, that's basically the premise of Stargate. <laughs> you know, I mean, the Egyptians had alien technology. They were just, you know, people were lending. Like, there's always been this idea that old ancient stone buildings and, and being able to build of that nature allows you to have a technology that's definitely far more advanced. So does it feel too far off to see them living in these stone structures and being like, yeah, they can go to space? Like, there's nothing inside the buildings that say that this is an advanced Technology and advanced civilization that would have spaceships, and yet that's basically the cultural norms. I mean, you're looking in here; even their lighting inside the, the the empress's throne room is a statue of an arm of a of a guy standing there with his arm out, holding what looks to be a torch, and the torch is burning. It's flame; it's not a lamp or anything. They're using freaking fire to light, and yet they've got spaceships. Like I love. That back and forth between real rustic and high tech.
1: (laughs) Well, the spaceships are powered by coal, so it's okay. (laughs) Right. You see the coal fumes coming out of the back of the spaceships. Like, shovel some more in. Yeah, that's true. We need need to go to light speed, shovel faster.
0: Oh man. this is where uh, Ordon Ur's master shows up, uh, Master Uror Who and saw, Uror has shown up.
1: Yeah, we saw him in the zero issue and that's I think the only time mm-hmm. we've seen him chronologically speaking so far and maybe at yeah. all like I, I can't imagine that he would come back um, in any of the other issues.
0: I, I think the only time we ever see him outside of this is associated with the great Holocron. I want to say he is one of the Holocron gatekeepers, and I think he talks to Leia in Dark Empire? I, I, I can't. Oh, now could, I want to look that up.
1: It could be, because he's a very unique design. Um, basically, yeah,
0: looks like a jellyfish. Yeah, he looks like a jelly,
1: a brain jellyfish. Like He looks like a mm-hmm. brain with tentacles. Um like a jellyfish that is trapped within a like a yellow crystal. Yeah. And it's
0: and the yellow is the atmosphere of his gas, as we find out later.
1: Yeah, but like the design of the crystal, it's like you would think like it would be like a, a, a cylinder or some kind of constant casing, right. but it is very crystal designed. It's it has a weird kind of shapes to it and I don't know why they would go with that like as opposed because clearly it has to be hollow we find out because he is living in this gas um mm-hmm. and so it, it, it he's they threw in a lot of weird species in these uh these comics that i don't think are ever seen again <laughs>
0: Right. And and I like, too, that in this moment, this is one of those things where you kind of get the feeling like the Sith might have been known more. Because he, like Ur, has been having dark visions. He goes, I know you, my student, and I know you, too, have been having dark visions across the reaches of the galaxy through seas of dark stars, rivers... Of whispering black shadow from the Republic's ancient past. Evil history. We had thought forgotten. And what's really cool here is there's a panel where it shows kind of like the nebula the Sith planets in. And uh, Naga Sado's Sith... Uh, crest, this tattoo on his forehead is in the nebula. I think it's kind of a cool touch. And then you see in the midst of the next scene, some of the ancient Jedi that got banished that ended up breeding with the Sith. He goes, I know of your attempts toward the assembly on Coruscant, Odin Ur. You thought your mission was a failure, but others in the audience heard you. Other Jedi Knights... The Republic has grown and expanded for many generations, encountering no worse than a few interplanetary squabbles and civil wars. But if we should confront the fabled Sith Empire, we will continue a war so great, so devastating, it can cross the fabric of hyperspace and conflagration spanning the galaxy. So, I mean, they, the Sith Empire Conflag- is no Conflagration. Yeah, I, I'm not saying that right. Yeah. Confl- Conflug-
1: Conflagration.
0: Conflagration.
1: <laughs> I'm like, what word? I'm looking at the word. I don't know what you said.
0: Like, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Where are you putting these letters in? <laughs> I, I just, I don't understand the whole, the whole fable to them. Like, this is again, proof that there is a lot of story opportunities to be told in legends. I mean, because somewhere along the line... We know that from Dawn of the Jedi, the Siths were a species people knew of, so their empire would have been known of. At some point, they went from being just a regular people to, to somebody that you kind of want to keep your eye on. You know, like, we don't trust these dark siders. And somewhere along the line, they got that status, and it was before the Dark Jedi had left and bulked up their forces, I would say. Because you get the feeling that when the Dark Jedi went and joined them, no one really had a clue that that's what happened you know like this is the this is the first time we're getting a feel of the Sith empire with a little dark jedi backing
1: <laughs> yeah that's a, it's it has the same feeling as like when yoda says only two there are and you have that like clearly you got this information from somewhere they you're right that something came out that uh these people exist and yeah mm-hmm. that that could be a story in and of itself of where right. did where did they figure this out because theoretically the Sith Empire is like a, a, a quote a landlocked uh landlocked system that is very difficult to get into or out of which is the only reason I can explain for them like not having any contact within this wider uh galactic republic is that nobody can get in there and they can't get out
0: right and another cool aspect of the story plot you know, is that the Empress through her unification wars is actually in the best position to handle this threat. I mean, you know, she even mentions that the Republic doesn't have the ships, whereas she's ready to be a bastion to, you know, this wall for the Sith Empire to crash against. And she's even willing to send some of her ships off to help defend other worlds, which plays into the plot that the Sith are doing against them when they're using their ancient techniques and stuff. I I thought that was a cool way of just explaining why empress tita would have such a strong military and it works very well
1: yeah and so moving moving on with the story we have jory landing on the the planet she tries to appeal to help from anybody she can find nobody cares uh the arbra arbra arba um arbucks um arby's arby's the hut <laughs> um he he doesn't care and he is terribly drawn uh, <laughs> it's the <a> first <laughs> the first image of him is absolutely atrocious. Um It gets better in the other ones, but it's like they didn't even care. And mm-hmm. um, he he turns his back on them and she gets ar- like I said she was arrested and dragged and put into trial immediately. Um, apparently they keep having these trials going on from all the uh, um, the unification wars and she got bumped up to the head of the line. And was immediately sentenced to the prison planet. And she gets kind of shuffled off without ever seeing the Empress Tita.
0: I, and I thought at that point, too, with her going off to the prison planet, that, that was kind of like a a waste of, of the story. But now when I look back on it, it's actually kind of brilliant because later when all Sith hits the fan, as it were... Those that fought in the Unification Wars on the opposite side that have already been tried and are on that planet locked up doing hard labor, they basically get amnesty if they fight against the Sith and they send ships to go get the rest of them that are on that planet. And when everything looks bleak, they show up and it's like the rallying call of support. And I didn't catch that at the first read. It wasn't until, like, right now as we're talking about it, that I really put the two and two together that there was a reason for her going there. It wasn't just to just ship her off to the side because at the time I was like, oh, how convenient. She gets shipped off to a whole other planet and then she manages just to run away, grab a ship, get into it, and fly back. Like, it, it in that scene for Jory, she definitely had a very Mary Sue vibe, but it, it works for the overall story. And then you got to remind yourself, or at least I do, that there is some force sensitivity to her. So, I mean, it's not like she's just like any old regular person. I mean, she does have the touch of destiny, as it were.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't call her Mary Sue in that instance because nothing she has done has been Mary Sue-ish. Um, it, True. It, it, like like you mentioned, she does eventually, like she gets shipped off the prison planet and almost immediately manages to knock down a guard and steal a, like an ore. Or hauler or something to get back to the Empress Tita system. And like that, that probably would be the only part that I would go, really like you managed to break out of a prison planet. The reason it is a prison planet is because people are all trying to get away. And the person who's there for two seconds manages to do it. I highly doubt that. Like, and her
0: narrative there is like, well, it's it's set up to stop a well planned attack, so I'm just going to improvise. Like,
1: yeah, like what? It, it, it's, oh my word! That 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 drove me nuts. And like, I would I wouldn't say anything about it being a Mary Sue. It's just the fact that it's a poorly drawn plot that they needed to get her off of the prison planet as quickly as possible. And that's true. It. True.
0: Mary Sue is wrong. It was very convenient, which of course it, leads me into Mary Sue territory in my mind. Yeah, I, I
1: would say I, if anybody, anybody who did that would be the same. It would be an obnoxious plot point. Um, right. But she eventually gets back and the ship is destroyed, um, but being an ore hauler takes a while, and so she manages to... Oh my word. This entire part drives me freaking mad. Um, she <laughs> she manages to eject from the ship, um, land on the street somewhere, break into the Empress's Castle and sneak into her chambers, um, and then from there is able to, to uh, not confront but uh, approach the empress and tell her everything that's happening. And it, as soon as she mentions what the other, what the, the Jedi have been talking about from their vision, she's uh, she listens to her. Um, yeah, it's it, the the whole that whole part of the story. I'm like I could have done without or had better writing <laughs>
0: like it <laughs> mm-hmm. right when well, while that's going on we see jory or not jory, we see gav with uh, naga on what is it car debla and this is where ludo comes back in i mean granted last time we saw ludo we were under the impression that he had died it turned out he once again didn't uh and he shows up and he's just like oh, i'm gonna do my thing and it's funny that Naga doesn't deal with him himself. He lets Gav do it. He's like, he's like, go push that button on the wall. <laughs> like, just, just do it. I'm giving you a great honor. It's a great honor. I give you Gav Jagana. And he pushes the button and then immediately the ship explodes. You're like, oh. like at this moment, I'm kind of like, well, what was the point of even bringing him back? Like, but there is a payoff to it. I'm, not right now. Yeah. Right now you're definitely confused as all get out, but yeah. we do get
1: there. But I love, I love, it's like, I've never killed anybody before. like you pushed a big red button that you were told to really like i don't that that, there's no intention in there like you are the most useless character
0: (laughs) right right and then then you find out at the end like you you didn't even kill anybody yet so don't go too hard on yourself oh
1: yeah like i i do not like Gav. um i think in the last the last arc he was much better than he is in this one he is just annoying in this arc
0: Right. We do see uh Nagasado getting his Sith meditation sphere, which I originally had thought that this was the same meditation sphere ship that we see later in uh Legacy of the Jedi, Fate of the Je- or Legacy of the Force Fate of the Jedi, but I don't I I think that what we see going on with Gav kind of pretty much says no, it can't be the same ship unless the ship's able to survive, you know, being burnt up by the sun because uh, <laughs> later on, that's where Gav's at when he meets his fate. And I had thought up until this point, because it's got the same shape and everything, everything about how it's described is the same. The only major difference I was able to note was that Sado's ship is much bigger, or at least described as a much bigger ship than what we see ship from Lost Tribe of the Sith and stuff later. Like, the ship ship, that's all they <laughs> called it, was much smaller whereas this one you see like it's got it's, like its own bridge yeah, it's got rooms it, it, it's a lot
1: bigger It is a lot bigger and I think I think it's probably similar because you're right I re- if I remember correctly the ship was also in eyeball shape um mm-hmm. which this one is a very it's like a, a very big eyeball with the tie fighter type uh wings um and so I think I I, I agree with you I think they're two different ships but probably um similar design mm-hmm. so we have after ludo gets not uh ludo's ship gets blown up um eventually they they amass all of their fleet and they fly into hyperspace and attack the republic um th- this is also kind of where i get a little confused is that they uh they basically track down jory's ship which the um <laughs> Again, with the morons, um, they they track down Jory's ship with the Starbreaker 12, which is now in the hands of the Trandoshan and the Trandoshan, who happens to be a merchant shipping like kingpin, is happy that he has a ship that he can fly anywhere in the galaxy. I'm
0: like, and he's actually not a legitimate Trangoian. We're just using that for you guys following along because he definitely looks that way. In the Golden Age, they actually gave his his species a different name, oh, I fr- I but for all intents and purposes, it. he yeah. might as well be Trangoian. But we also get Gorm. Remember last issue? I was I was commenting how like we only saw him from the neck, and now that, you know he, there was always an, a Nelson thing from like Home Improvement. Oh, the monkey. We finally see his face. Yeah, he's got a monkey face. <laughs>
1: but yes they uh um so he's off flying which i still don't understand like you are a merchant kingpin and you're happy you own a ship i'm like don't you own lots of ships can't you go anywhere you want but no he's excited he gets to fly anywhere and when the sith empire uh, arrives um and immediately blows them up um and like uh gav is like um horrified he's like you blew up my sister and he's like didn't you see the readings it was there were clearly no life
0: forms on it so or he says no human life did forms. it say
1: no humans i thought it
0: said no life yeah forms. yeah what did he say it yeah he goes check check your sensors gav no human life forms aboard a starbreaker 12 it was just a decoy oh
1: <laughs> i i i took that as no life forms is that he's clearly lying but i guess okay no human life right. forms uh but
0: it, well, I, I think the whole scene with, with Sissic points out that the Starbreaker 12, because, you know, the art style and the fact that all these ships are so different, it's hard to tell a new ship from an old ship. I want to say Starbreaker 12 is kind of like a Corvette, you know, I mean, like, because he's taking it out for a joyride, you know, and you don't take just any old ship out for a joyride, even a new one you take out for a test drive. A joyride, that's a ship with some power. Yeah,
1: OK, I, I can see it. It's still weird. Um, right. And uh, yeah, so the, the entire Sith fleet arrives and also immediately arrives shortly thereafter at Coruscant, which how did they find Coruscant is my real question. Like, yeah, Empress Tita system can be close to Coruscant, but that's still you've got to get
0: there. you got to know where you're going. Right. And that's what leads me to thinking that there was more interactions with the Sith Empire and the Republic of old. Because even when Naga Sado is talking about the Republic, he's talking about them being, you know, not doing what needs to be done and all the like like he has information about them. And the only thing I could think of is, you know, they had information originally from when they had ties with the rest of the galaxy. Then they cut those ties. And then at some point, Dark Jedi show up. And they inform them of what's been going on. You know, the Republic now has Jedi. We've been banished from them. We want to be on your team. So, I I feel like, again, there's so much potential for a really good story there to have built up why the Sith hate the Republic so much. And why the Republic is afraid of the Sith. When at this point, they really haven't shown us any reason for that. But clearly there is a story that was untold.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. So moving forward we have this giant fleet which we find out a little later is not as giant as we are originally thought um naga Sadao is using his sith meditation spear to project a larger army and larger fleet than is actually there and so this is probably the largest um use of force powers we've seen uh up until this point um and probably one of the largest ones because he's projecting this between systems too, uh, across the entire. Uh-huh. Um, you had mentioned earlier that uh, um, the the one planet that they were searching for crystals um, is actually mentioned in this series, and that they they're they're fighting on the Empress Tita system, Coruscant, and that one other planet. Was it? Uh, yeah, Karak, Karak, I think yeah. is what it's called. Yeah, and so that you had those those three war fronts um, that they specifically call out. I assume within this storyline there were no more, but that doesn't mean you can't add more later.
0: Right. And and we we passed it right before they launched the fleet. And I'm glad you brought up the technique because there was something I wanted to point out about that. When we get to right before they go, uh, Nagashido goes into the chamber and he goes, Alone here at last, in the heart of my meditation sphere, I must concentrate. Use the old and forbidden Sith ways. Much of our attack will be a mere illusion, but oftentimes belief can be as destructive as actual weapons. Now, what I think is the most intriguing here, again, getting back to that untold story of what has been going on with the Sith, he's going to concentrate and use old and forbidden Sith ways. Forbidden Sith ways. So there are, aspects of force use that even the sith lords of old forbid and in this case it's just an illusion like what in the hell is so bad about using a force illusion that it that the sith lords have banned it and made it forbidden like that to me You know, it makes me think of Darth Bane and the whole reason why he came up with the Rule of Two because of all the infighting. It had to have been something with infighting, right? Could you imagine Sith Lords using illusions to almost wipe each other out at some point or almost even wipe out everyone else? Like, maybe that kind of an infighting is what caused the Jedi to help lock them off or whatever. Like, you know, maybe they created, you know, these pathways that made it hard for them to get out or or like we were talking about... uh, Uh, Gavin Jory in the last one about how the navigational system, how if you point outward into the outer galaxy, it should be easier to travel. Well, not if someone put up some, you know, blockers in a sense. What if there was a reason for all of that? And I truly think that there is just one hell of a story that could have been told if you picked up all these little threads and interweave them together into a story. I just... Oh, there's just so much stuff here at the surface that you could just. I I feel like we're just taking a brush and we're Indiana Jonesing it over some bones here, man. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, I I I agree. It's probably like if it's forbidden Sith, it's probably because of the infighting. Because all they had was infighting, essentially. Um, right. Yeah, and so when the the, the fleet arrives, Gav. Um, uh, basically leaves the fleet in trying to find his sister, who is clearly not dead because he believed um, Naga Sido would never lie to him. And... Right. <laughs> <laughs> My word. Um, and so he's on the, the planet looking for her. He runs to Arby's the hut, um, who immediately starts threatening um, Gav. And so his uh, Masazi warriors who are with Gav immediately kill the hut. Yep,
0: and waste no time. <laughs> oh, no,
1: my word, like the uh, yeah, and that's when um, Jory happens to walk in and finds uh, Gav covered in hut, uh, hut blood, hut goo, hut slime. It spit. He
0: spits on him. Oh. Although it does look like blood because when he gets stabbed, it's, the blood's the same color. But I mean, but when he when is, like, Gav shows up, backpack. he spits on him first. But he's also
1: (laughs) dripping covered in this stuff, so that has to be the blood.
0: Right. But, uh... Another moment right before that that I thought was really cool was when uh, Orden Ur gives Jory a lightsaber. Not just any lightsaber, I noticed even. It's a complete duplicate of his own. Like... uh, Everything about it. So clearly he had two identical lightsabers at one time, which I thought was an interesting. I don't know if he was like Palpatine where he just had two exact same ones. Just one was a spare or if he was going with, you know, dual wielding. Does he but there's also does he
1: use a lightsaber later in the series? Or,
0: uh, yeah, he's using he's using the sister of that one. Okay, like, I didn't if know you if look, it was his
1: that he gave her.
0: Yeah, yeah, because when you look at it on 213, when, when she swings at the uh, Masai that's with Gav, you can see how the handle is. And then a couple pages on the, now, the next page, he's holding it in his hand. It's the same exact oh, okay. everything about it. It's, it's amazing that when I realized that that was the same color. But I also noticed that on the Battle of Coruscant, when it's all going down, you see the troops in the bottom of page 202 and 203 in the omnibus. You see the Sith troops in the area, and you see the Jedi on the, on the temple steps. One of the Jedi goes, for a hundred generations, the Jedi have fought to protect the Republic. Cool little note, hundred generations. The Jedi. Okay, I like that. But the same guy that's saying that, has a different weapon than everyone else. He's got what looks to be like a force pike. It's got the force aura on each end, but unlike everyone else, his is not attached to a power pack, which immediately made me think, maybe his is like one of those missing link weapons that went Mm. from the archaic Linked up lightsabers to it has its own power pack because clearly, when you see him drawn throughout the issue, his is never attached to any power for- source. So, whether the ends are powered by the force itself or some technology, I just found that really interesting. I totally had a moment where my brain started calculating all this stuff and I started really paying attention to the weapons. That's when I noticed that Jory's was very similar. Uh, a lot of this, the Jedi are, where, are handling lightsabers that are very similar. It's, it doesn't look to be as unique as what the later Jedi would be doing with their lightsabers it almost has a uniformity to it
1: yeah and the guy um, there's also one of the Jedi introduced on Coruscant that reminds me of Don Quixote um, he kind of has like the the, the, mm-hmm. the knights or the, the old knight from um, the the Indiana Jones um, the one that kind of has the mesh right um, the,
0: you have chose yes poorly
1: yes, he, he <laughs> is on here and he has a, a lightsaber very similar to Odinor as well um yeah and and so, yeah, there's a lot of uh at least similarity in the drawing, but the drawing is kind of mushed in places anyway that everything can look the same. Um,
0: yeah, true that <laughs> like it's just so
1: weird, like some panels like the panel where Gav is covered in um hut blood is great, and then like mm. you get to another panel and um it's just absolutely atrocious and it's, it's like it's like it all it all over the freaking place.
0: Oh, right. I liked the big scene, which maybe it's maybe it's one of those pauses where you get a new issue. It's kind of hard to say where you're on Carrick, you see Odin or, but then you see everybody outside as the drop ships are coming in. You see the temple, you see all the spears and everything. Very, again, primitive technology they're using, even though they got ships and blasters and all this other stuff. And the guy's like, ready, men, here come the drop ships. And they literally have sharp. It's got that classic moment. (laughs) Right. Right. And, and dude, those dropships, when they come down, have almost a very Yorth, uh, uh, was it Yorick, Yothor feel to them? Like they got that diamond like look to them. And when they open up the Sith beasts that they were, you know, gathering and stuff. When you saw Naga Sado gathering all the various forces, you know, they talk about the other Sith lords and stuff, and you watch them bringing beasts in and everything. And at this time, you know, you know that he's using some, you know, Sith forbidden techniques, and you know he's creating illusions, but you don't know if the illusion is the battle that's happening there at at, uh, Sinar, at the Empress Tita system, or if it's what's on Coruscant, or if it's it's on Carrick. And then you find out later, it's kind of like almost all of them, that he sent a little bit of forces to each of these locations, and they were bolstered by the illusion. I thought that was kind of cool, too.
1: Yeah. And so... After Jory, she sees Gav um, supposedly murder the Hut. We know Gav did not do that, but Jory doesn't. Um, It it was weird. Like, Jory confronts Gav. Gav kind of runs away, as opposed to telling her, like, I didn't do this. Um, Like, that whole situation was weird. And Gav basically runs back to the ship, and he flies the ship back towards um, the Sith Sphere.
0: Which, and, and this is something I wanted to ask you, the Sith Sphere is at Primus Gul'du. Yeah, I just caught which, that now,
1: but I thought we saw the Sith which Sphere is, at Coruscant.
0: Right, right. And so it's like, how did Naga Sido A... Decide that this place would be a good place unless it was Gav telling him. And B, Gav knows this is an unsafe. So was Gav trying to kill Nagasado here, and he was just being subtle about it because it seems like a very stupid place for Nagasado to choose to set up shop. I mean, he is literally right above where the last ship that Sisk had got destroyed.
1: Oh, I didn't even put that together that 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 they were the the same location. Yeah,
0: this is Gav's first uh paid navigational route the one that cost them everything yeah. and that's where naga sets up it's like like if it was thought out by gav that would make sense but it definitely is something that makes me stop and scratch my head like i get there trying to tie everything back but i'm questioned if they needed to do this and then later there will be another scene where naga tells his sith we're going to jump back to the sith empire and it looks like they just jumped to the other side of the sector and you see the same sun with smoke coming off of it and you're like well that's where the Sith Empire is and where all this stuff is happening is on completely other ends of the galaxy. There is no way in hell you'd be able to see that sun burning like that from the Sith Empire
1: after that jump. So Gav had to have told him about it. It says, Primus Golud, an unstable red giant star, a hellish place where Naga Sado can control his forces to bring about the fall of the Republic. So I'm assuming it's something about the star that, once he heard about an unstable red star, like maybe that's where... Like, like obviously reading into the issue because it's not there. Um, But uh, um, use the uh, use the unstable red star to to help control. Um, Like use that energy from the star.
0: And there's a cool thing too. Talking about energy and and techniques, you know, I've always said in Legends, anything was possible with the Force. Uh, we see Luke create pocket places where he could store things and stuff like that. Uh, we later see uh, the Force transfer in in canon where Ben gives his lightsaber to Rey across stuff. Well, here in my meditation chamber, Nagasado says, "I can see the galaxy in my mind's eye. I can visualize vast armies, powerful fleets, invincible warriors, and with Sith arts." My imagination can make them real. And I just, I think that's cool that you can actually create physical material out of just your force visions and stuff and make them actually become real. I think that's a pretty, there's a lot of implications that could have been uh, explored there down the road. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So we have Gav arriving at the Sith sphere um clearly not on not intent on doing any damage whatsoever um when he uh fires on the sith sphere essentially breaking Nagasito's concentration uh which was his intention, and that is basically the the beginning of the end when everyone realizes right. that nearly all the forces that are against them are fake and so i'm 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 assuming that the forces that were against them were real enough to actually feel, like, corporeal? Is that the word? Um, yes. Like, like that they, they actually had an impact, um, because otherwise, like, you'd find out pretty quickly that the giant elephant thing that you're shooting at, the bullets were going right through it.
0: <laughs> like, right. Right, well, and that's, and that's where, you know, Nagasato says as long as he's doing it, they are real. But once he lost his—so it's like they're real as long as they're in the power. They're not something that he can create, and once it's created, it stays created, at least not through this technique, uh, which, which is definitely an interesting thing. It's like one of those, like, kill the lead vampire and they all die kind of yeah. thing, you know? But I definitely got the feeling that Coruscant of the battles, Coruscant being the closest to the core, Coruscant was the farthest flung spur of the battle. And I really got the feeling like out of all the Sith army dedicated to the fight, this had the least amount. It was supported mostly by the the Sith technique, because as soon as those forces disappear, this planet, it becomes a quick turn of the tide. Whereas, you know, Syngar and even the other one, it's a little more fighting still, even though half the troops and stuff have disappeared.
1: Yeah. And so from there, we basically have a really quick turnaround towards the end of the, the arc. Like it goes, it goes from um, Naga gets his ship shot to the end of the series very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Gav arrives on the ship and uh, he lands on the the meditation spear when basically uh, Naga flees the meditation spear at the same time. Um,
0: That was such a complexly ridiculous scene, though, because like the way that Naga brings him over, it's like, again, it just illustrates how stupid Gav is like, Gav, think of everything we've done together. Please come over here so we can discuss this or we will battle it out man to man if that's how it must be. You have left me her helpless in my damaged meditation sphere. And Gav's like, I don't agree with what you've done, Nagasido. All the damage you've caused needlessly caused all the bloodshed. And then of course he goes, let us do this face to face, Gav. I have thought I have taught you so much. You owe me this. Alright. I'll come and I'll talk to you. It's like you stupid. Why would you, why does this have to be face-to-face, you idiot? My, my favorite part clearly, is when
1: Nagasito calls him a gullible fool, and you're assuming that is just like like an aside, like gullible fool kind of to himself. But it would be even funnier right? if it was to his, like, like over the intercom, like you're a gullible fool. I'm still coming.
0: <laughs> oh, no, I I, I thought even, because like, you know, you don't realize that, nag is there until all of a sudden you get to the end and he's like he's abandoned the ship i've been trapped here and you're like how did he abandon the ship he took your shuttle you can't now leave because he took your shuttle so when i see that gullible fool moment i'm thinking he's in the hangar hiding himself and Gav walks right past him and he climbs right in the ship he's like gullible fool <laughs> that's a,
1: that, that, that's, <laughs> thanks for the image of the mighty sith like lord crouched behind a barrel. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> right, right, pretty much exactly. Because that's, that's when I'm like, how did he get off? Did he just take his ship? Oh my god, that is so shady. <laughs> and
1: so yeah. And so he flees back to the the Sith Empire, um, and basically the the rest of the Sith fighting forces are abandoned. Um, and yeah. to eventually be destroyed. Uh, I liked the the one part of this where oh, what was the the brain the brain jars guy's name? Oror. Yeah, or he he sacrifices himself against the Masazi by leaking his gas out, where he mm-hmm. dies from it. Um, and then also hints at where Odin Or will be coming back. Um, so if you
0: re- gives a vision, yeah, if you, re- if if was you read if you read these moment. in
1: release order, you knew Odener is in the regular uh, Knights of the Old Republic a thousand years later, but um, mm-hmm. he he kind of hints at that, that you will be around the oldest living Jedi.
0: One one thing I wanted to point out before we get there is during the being left on the meditation sphere on two thirty one, there's an art panel there that jumped out to me. We already know Nagasado has left the ship, and yet Nagasado's voice is coming from inside the ship. And he goes, "I'll finish with you when I'm, or I'll deal with you when I'm finished, traitor. I've got a war to win." It looks like one of those birds from Mortis, like the sister and the brother.
1: Oh yeah,
0: that—that's what's talking, like that made me pause and wonder what the hell am i looking at here? i assume it's just like, a
1: speaker but you're right it kind of has a bird
0: shape to it yeah it definitely made me stop and go what was the artist intending here cuz that was definitely a weird moment but then you know as you were mentioning on on Carrick i like the aspect of this because we know that the Force Illusion's over. So again, you know, Coruscant had the least amount, but Carrick and uh, Sinar or Singar, whatever the planet is that the Empress Teta's main planet is,
1: yeah, you know,
0: you see all the troops coming down and Odin Ur is talking to him how can we fight against such an enemy? And, you know, Ura goes, how do we fight against any enemy with the Force? to the best of our abilities, which I'm automatically thinking like, how is Aurora going to do anything? You know I mean? Cause he can't move around aside from on repulsors. His arms can't come out of the tank. He's only going to be using force techniques of some form or fashion. So I was immediately like, what's he going to do? And the way that he does it, you know, and he breaks it. And he, I love it. He goes, as your oxygen atmosphere is deadly to me. So my dense Senegan atmosphere is deadly to you. Let the winds blow favor. <laughs> <laughs> he busts it open and he, I like how he kind of, like, drops to the bottom of the tank. Like, it's like, you know, even though he's sacrificing himself, he's not really ready to just die. Like, he's he's definitely trying to make it so he doesn't die right away. But, again, the atmosphere is poison, so he is going to die. And then eventually, you know, you see him, he's, like, down at the bottom of the tank. And he's starting to kind of, like, dissolve away. And he disappears into the Force after he gives Ur er that vision of the future. And I thought that was a kind of a cool moment, too, that, you know, again, getting back to we didn't have the full story of what Lucas intended. And so Legends trying to tie things together in the way that they did, we have instances like this where you see Jedi disappearing Uh, in new Jedi order. There were Jedi that had disappeared that they didn't realize that it was supposed to be something special. So it's like, you know, it's like, it's like, it's a cool moment, but it doesn't quite fit in with what would later be more of a Disney canon theme of what would happen with Jedi. I definitely like the idea that in Legends, any Jedi that was basically had proven they were one with the force could become one with the force. I mean, it is also an interesting idea that the Disney Canon took that you have to know a certain technique to do it. But I think even with the Disney Canon, that by the time we get to rise of Skywalker and we see all of, uh, you know, that we hear the voices of all the Jedi and then we see Luke and Leia's force Ghost show up to Ray. I think that there's, an argument to be made that you don't necessarily have to have that to be able to come back in a form. It might not be the Obi-Wan or the Yoda form that we see, but it is a form kind of like what we've seen with other Sith and other night sisters and other people upon death, that there's different aspects to what it means to be a force spirit and or a force. It's always been a
1: questionable thing anyway, because you have, um, you have Anakin coming back as a Force ghost. And so it's one of those, like, where did he learn that from then? if uh, right. and So it's, it's always been a, a questionable technique that you can kind of twist however you want. Uh,
0: See, and Legends actually gave us an answer for that in the life and times of Obi-Wan yes, Kenobi. I remember, I remember um, that
1: they, they grabbed him from the Force. Yep,
0: which, yep. Yoda and, and, and Obi-Wan give him literally, you have this one choice, Anakin, right. come with us! <laughs>
1: All right, so we come back and uh, uh, Naga has fled, essentially fled the uh, fled the war effort. Um, he has given all up for lost, uh, despite his saying, "I'm I'm going to go win this war." He he really doesn't. Um, he I don't even think he really tries.
0: He. Um, well, no. It, this is right before he springs the trap. I mean, it is still an edge of hope. Yeah,
1: he he you know. blows up the the sun that, uh, is the um, that the meditation spear is around. I'm guessing just to kill Gav. Is that <laughs> it? Literally, is only. Well, purpose. no. He he.
0: It looks like he uses Gav as bait. At least that's the way I saw it. Because he's like. Uh, you know, they go, it's a trap. And then he's like, a dark Lord of the Sith does not give up so easily. No, it's an opportunity. And he unleashes like, cause you're like, did he leave? Did he go away? And all of a sudden Empress Teta and everybody shows up. So Gavin, Jory are momentarily reunited. Gav can't leave the meditation sphere. And that's when he pulls the Palpatine launches, all the Sith lightning into the planet. And of course, you know, they know what's going on. Nogisado, how could you? We'll all be destroyed. And he's like, yes, Gabby, you know exactly what I have done. And then he's like, Jory, Empress, all of you, go. He's trickled the solar flares. The entire star is unstable. And like the way this is drawn at this moment, I'm not quite sure what exactly happens. You know, I mean, you you see the Sargonova, you see the meditation sphere, you see a panel with Gav going, goodbye, Jory. And you see a picture of Jory going, goodbye, Gav. And both of them have the yellow of the atmosphere going behind them. And you're like, did they all just die? And then it jumps and and this is where I visually I got lost because you now see, you know, uh, Nagasado's forces, what's left. Cause it says only a few have made it back. And it implies like they're in Sith space, but they're looking over a planet and you can see the sun in the background. There's an asteroid in one spot. And it looks like there's three circles, kind of like it's smoke coming from that section, implying that that's the, the sun. so I'm like, okay, that doesn't quite work, but you still don't know if the emperor's Teta got away you don't know, you know, you assume Gav just died because there's no way he was getting off. So you don't know about any of that yet. You just know that a small group of Nagus people have survived. And that's when you find out, Holy crap, Ludo is still alive.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, because he's still alive.
0: <laughs> right. I, Crash, now hold the title of the Dark Lord of the Sith as I should have since the death of Marco Ragnus. I staged my own death. I sent an empty decoyed ship, and your weapon shot it down. You are so disgustingly overconfident, and while you were off with your foolish attempts at conquest, I gathered my forces. <laughs> you are the greatest threat the Sith Empire has ever known, Nagasado, and you must be stopped. You are exiled from the empire forever and then they go into a huge battle which it's basically the the end of what's been going on with the main battle with the republican this battle here that is the launch point for cross current and lost tribe of the sith like we're at that pinnacle moment all of this is going down right now and it is an interesting side cross from Ludo Kress that Ludo had taken over. So you know that in the Sith realm of things, he's now in charge. Naga has been exiled. So Naga's exile has already begun for the Sith Empire. And just Naga's just now finding out about it. And Naga's still not going down without a fight. I assumed at this point, again, because of the art, that the ship that he has crash into Ludo's ship was his own, which it isn't, in fact. It turns out it must have been one of the other ships. But it looks like... Naga Sado grabs one of his own ships of his fleet, the few survivors, with the Force. You see him grab his Sith amulet and make a Force hand, and then the ship goes crashing into it, and that's how Ludo finally (laughs) dies. So
1: he kills Ludo for the third time. (laughs) Right! (laughs) Yeah. And um, at this point, the war on... The Empress Tita system is wrapping up. Everyone's happy there. They're having parties and celebrating, and the Empress Tita uh, brings her own fleet into the Sith Empire, basically following following them back, and attacks them on their own empire. And the and Nagasado flees between two sons, um, I think exploding the suns as he's as he's flying away, and making it look like he died, but the, he we know he does not die, and the the Empress Tita basically wipes out the Sith like completely, and they didn't go into it in this comic that much. Like I don't I don't right. remember him seeing it, but they definitely said that in the uh, Old Republic Encyclopedia that the entire Sith people were wiped
0: out. Right. This was this was a brutal moment. I mean, I got the feeling from the moment that the dialogue stops on page 248, where you see the uh, the people on the wrong side of the Unification Wars that are now on Empress Teta's side. It's like, we fought against Empress Teta during the Unification Wars, but that was in the past. We must now create a time of peace, a time of rebuilding. And you see, like, the cloud with all the, the Onderon fighters or whatever birds they are, and then it goes to the end of the Sith Empire. I get the feeling that at this point, weeks are passing. Like, this is, you know, more time has gone by than just we're picking right up off that battle. Like, they catch back up to Naga Sado, um, you know, that they've gone across the Sith Empire, wiping everyone out. But you're right, it's not in this. In fact, most of a lot of this stuff, if it didn't come from the timelines that came with the KOTOR game, you got this from RPG materials. Like and and stuff like Jason Fry would put out uh, in Daniel Wallace and things like that, like the essential Atlas and all those type of things the the uh, essential guide to the force, Jedi versus Sith, you know, those stuff had the tidbits of this because it's interesting when when you're looking up the timelines and stuff on Wikipedia, you can look it up by comics, books, media or history. When you go into history, there is a whole lot of stuff that is happening from twenty five thousand years all the way up to this point. And there's so much more than is in media. Because you go to the media and there's just like nothing. But you go to that timeline of of events, and it's just like wow, like it's Legends is so thought out. It's insane. But so much of it happens off page.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's what I I found interesting. Like one, this major galactic conflict. Um, that lasted, yeah, about six hours. Uh, Like, the Empress Tita needed to go in and basically um, genocide the entire Sith people, of which we have no clue whether it was one fighting force or she knows one fighting force on an entire system of planets, but we never see the
0: Sith people again. And this... Well, which is weird because, like... I guess that's where my, my knowledge of the Old Republic game doesn't quite have things locked down, because I know that there are Sith species and characters of the Sith species in that game, and I'm pretty sure that most of that game takes place after this fact, and I know that some, you know, because of what happens with Omen, Omen is the is the ship that ends up crashing uh, on Kesh and becomes the Lost Tribe of the Sith. The Sith species that was with them died out because they couldn't survive on the planet, leaving only the humans and the, the few non-humans left alive. So that explained why theirs died out. Uh, the Harbinger's crew jumped forward into the future, and they end up getting all killed off in that story, so theirs is wrapped up. But I, I still want to say that there were some planets that had managed, that there was a, a small faction that had hidden on one of the other planets in one of the stories and that explained why there were some that showed up in the old Republic MMO but, game because I wrote I want to say there were a couple in that could, game
1: It could be I don't remember I, I only played part of the game but reading through the encyclopedia I don't even remember seeing many Sith in the encyclopedia um, and, and like even um, Vitiate uh, had taken a large group of followers with him when he fled this Basically this battle that we're talking about right now he he fled yeah, it this genocide um, he fled it but then he killed everybody that followed him I believe
0: or mm-hmm. yeah he takes him to a planet no he, and he rallies everyone that survived and that's that's I think that's the event where the rest of them get wiped out, aside from whatever one or two characters might have showed up later as playable or, or non-playable characters. Because he, he invites all the rest of the Sith Lords to the planet, and then he uses a Force technique that drains them and the planet of all life, and that's what makes him immortal. Yes. That's the moment where he gains his immortality. and And even Naga does something like that to help further that along because he's like I still have one chance I must speak with my Masi on the other ships and then we go to another spot where one of the Sith Lords comes up to him and he's like uh, he's talking to Naga Naga's talking to him and Naga goes my Masai will lay down their lives for me that is all I need and the, and the Sith person goes but Naga Sado what if the other Sith Lords resist and he goes the Nasai We'll take care of it, and then you see, even as that guy's talking, one of the uh, Maasai starts stabbing the Sith lords, and he goes uh, all on ship after ship. they uh, you know this is what's happening is they're, they're wiped. The Maasai of Nagas are killing the other Sith lords, so the prominent Sith lords are all being wiped out in that form, and then you find out that Viditat wipes out the rest. So there's like a three way purge going on yeah, here. So like I, I mean. I think for all intents and purposes, yes, this is the dying of the species. And anyone that lived past that is like the exceptions to the cause. Kind of like anyone that survived Order 66. They were all supposed to die. Yeah, conveniently, maybe 10 of them survived. But they're supposed to have been all all intents and purposes dead.
1: And so we we wrap up the arc with kind of um, hints at what's going to come. And we... So if you're reading this in release order, we already know what's coming. But we're not reading in release order. And uh, like I said, it's been a long time since I've read these. So I don't know. I don't remember all the nitty gritty details that come up um, or how these are going to tie in. But Odinur finds a Sith holocron on one of the abandoned Sith ships. And Naga Sado Sado... Um, arrives at Yavin Four uh, and to build the mm-hmm. Masazi temples that we all know and love. And I found it really interesting. One of the the cool images that were on one of the last pages is Nagasudo's ship landing on Yavin Four, and they're building the temple around his ship.
0: Mm-hmm. But that yep, and that's that's references to later stories and stuff too. That that is so brilliant. I like too the fact that. When Orden Or gets the uh, Sith holocron, he decides, you know, uh, he goes, a holocron of a different design than any of I've ever seen before. I remember the last words of my Master Oro. Perhaps I can build a great learning sem- center, a giant library of Jedi knowledge and books on the quiet world where Master Oro trained me, on Ossus. And I love the fact that even later, Ossus and Yavin 4 are big places of importance for Luke's Jedi yes. Order. Uh, Luke's, Luke's order, you know, basically it starts on Yavin 4, that's where his praxium is, but later he ends up moving their headquarters to Ossus, and it stays on Ossus for quite a while, all the way into Legacy of the Force 140 years later, um, so I mean, I, I, I just loved that tie-through with the Jedi of certain places having some historical significance for them, and that was another one of those really cool moments that I enjoyed, too. And and these pages, too, like, the, the last six pages and the last two especially give you the sense that a, a good chunk of time has gone past, you know? And that's, that's where I think, like, if this ends at 4,990, that would make more sense, especially if these last two pages are, say, eight to nine years long, you know?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I I still call, I, I I still would ignore that that 10-year gap and kind of cuz you're right, the the majority of this like the vast majority minus the last couple of pages <laughs> really don't fit into mm-hmm. that 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 um 10-year time period. But even then, like you look at the right. very last page with Jory, Jory looks like like her clothes are still like torn apart from the battle like she hasn't changed <laughs> true and if it's been 10 years now girl needs to get a new outfit
0: <laughs> <laughs> right and they never did explain where she got the scars i mean that was something too that i was always like huh how did that happen um one thing you know and we've we've loosely touched on it it's it's kind of the random tie-in how odd would it be for a ship being captained during all this by a former jedi on the Sis side of things during the big battle on the three worlds so, yes
1: like if you go into like just reading this story straight through and you were to go so would a jedi be able to turn over to the sith during this time period there's no time like w- at what point right. would a jedi go you know i think i'm gonna join those guys and the sith would go hey come on over here we'll give you your own ship that like like 15 minutes into the battle. Like it literally takes and, the battle takes days. If you tried really hard, maybe months. Um, and that's about that. That's the longest I can stretch this out to.
0: And and it's more the aspect of from the Sith empire standpoint, because from what I know, and, and, and just to fill you in listeners, what I'm talking about here is the character from cross current one of the main ones He's a captain. He is a Sith Lord that was fighting for Naga Sado during this. Uh, he was a once Jedi. He was a Kalish Jedi, like uh, General Grievous. And he went nuts working with the Ligdom Crystals and fled outside the galaxy. And like Gavin, Jory came across the Sith Empire. And somehow along the time frame, because they don't tell you when this happens, uh, he gets uh, accepted by them and becomes a Sith Lord and given basically some power. Uh, so, I mean, so you've got that aspect. So, like, here he shows up and his being treated under Marcus Ragnus was a lot different than Gavin Jory showing up after Ragnus' death. So, again, there are these tie-ins and stuff that happen. But, it, yeah, it was one of those things, like, you stop and you think about the fact that there is a Jedi-turned-Sith Lord fighting that was de- definitely on that side of things. So, again, there's that aspect of prior knowledge of the Republic that the Sith Empire had. First, you had the Dark Jedi coming, then you have this Jedi coming, uh, and then you have Gavin Jory showing up. But but they've had knowledge of it, and it seems like they had knowledge even before. There's a lot more happening in the backstory than it's told. And it's definitely one of those aspects that I have always loved about Legends that there was always so many things hinted at in the past, so many mysteries. Um, you know, I mean, we're not even getting into things like Center Point Station. You know, I mean, there's just so much stuff that's hinted about jedi and the order and and then what we did see with the schism the other schism the first sith war the second sith war i mean the fact that there's so many versions of them the history and the way it plays out is just so intricate and the fact that even as we're reading this as as jim says this is the fifth issue and yet it's the second issue in in the way that this time is breaking out in the omnibus it's just it's a magical thing about how legend storytelling is told and when you Add to the layers of your knowledge and how when you go back to these stories, there's a lot more payoff. Because of the things you know, you know, like the things that we know about Lord Vitat the emperor or the immortal Emperor, uh and how that ties into these things, it's not mentioned in this, you know, but we have that information which enhances what's happening in this because we know about that, and I think that that's one of the best things that legends has to offer to new readers as they explore is that there's levels of the storytelling. You can come back and reread this again with new knowledge and it's a new appreciation of the story
1: all right, so. What's your as a standalone story? What 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 are your thoughts? Like, uh, wh- where would you rank this, and uh, what what grade would you give it?
0: As a standalone, I think the 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 number one thing this is going against it is the condensing of so much stuff. So I would probably say I'm going to give this one a a five point five. It's it's definitely a solid enough story that it it brings you in. It's interesting. You want to know more. And it, there's stuff you can learn before and after it that, that can go there. Um, you know, I've said before, I, the book that got most people into Star Wars for me was Star by Star, the middle book of the New Jet Order. They'd read that. They were like, holy cow. And then they went back and, and filled in the gaps. And I think that this, if you're interested in Sith, this is a good story that could do that for you. You know, it's just enough about what's going on and how the Sith fell. That will make you start to go, well, but if they fell, then how do they continue on? What about Revan? And then you start learning all that other stuff. So I, I think I'll give it a 5.5. 5.
1: Yeah, so when we were talking about the Golden Age of the Sith, I had said that I was actually pleasantly surprised with how much I liked the Golden Age of the Sith that I thought I didn't like it. I I, I was under the impression like, oh, I didn't I didn't uh, really like it back in the past reading again. I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe I was mis- misunderstanding my own memories of it. This one was the opposite like I thought mm-hmm. this one would be better than I thought it was, and really it 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 fell flat for me i I'm, I'm thinking like a five five point five is exactly where I would put it it the a lot of the story contrivances were stupid um the the time thing of this supposedly major war that got crushed down followed by a mass genocide um genocide is always a fun topic to write about and (laughs) and gloss over like barely even mentioned um yeah just like everything about this story just tells me that like they could have done so much more with this and it was really them just trying to do too much in too little time they they Mm -hmm they should have made this longer and they decided not to or they were told not to or something. Something along right. that line. But uh, yeah, I, it's a very weak and um, I'm kind of disappointed in this, but, but it leads us off into the beginnings of the Tales of the Jedi uh, that was released. And so our, our next one will jump forward a thousand years in time. And uh, I, I, I remember my personal feelings is that by the time the next lump of time, which is the next four arcs, all are one series. Right. By the end of those, um, that really, that last one tied all of those four together. But I think these two are, they're still there, their own thing. Mm -hmm. And I think so much more could have been done. And I think that's what future, future legends work had done is to kind of try to fix what had happened here and I, I believe it worked like I believe they did like you're right, cross current and stuff they added more to it the old republic added more to it and it fixed a lot of the issues that were here or at least better explained a lot of things that were happening here
0: right right which I guess gets us to coming back around on should it be brought into canon and what would need to be changes to be adopted into canon so could it be brought back into canon yes it could oh no not not could no should
1: I know, I know. I'm saying, I, I, I am, I am answering. I am answering the question you didn't ask. Ah. Um, <laughs> so, could it be brought back into canon? Yes, yes, it could. Should it be brought back into canon? It could, but it needs to be fixed.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think, like, I think something like this could be if they decided to do this and actually flesh it out to the point where it needs to be. They could change a ton of stuff, but you keep that that core of the Sith Empire attacks the Republic and eventually gets defeated mm-hmm. and rooted out. I think that that story right there is a, a great story where you yeah. have this hidden Sith Empire built up by Dark Jedi that found them and eventually they get discovered, quote discovered, um and that brings them into the Republic and they have this major battle that ensues. I think that would fit perfectly into the new canon.
0: It, it's a, a more difficult one for me in, in the in the should realm I mean in the could realm I, I think yeah uh, but in the should realm with what we have in canon right now what we know of the Sith I almost say no um, I almost say you should leave it alone unless you're planning on you know bringing in elements of the Sith being a species because that's like you said Jim there's gonna have to be some serious retooling you know maybe yeah keep the battle the great hyperspace war um but I don't even know if if you're having the Sith Empire come over. I think you would want to either fully address the question of did the Republic know of the Sith Empire? Because the way that this is wrote, it definitely sounds that way. Uh, yet it definitely comes across that this is their first time in reacting. So, you know, we talk about that that story that wasn't told. So would you just flat out make it be one of those things where when the Sith Empire finds it, they do some scouting they, you know, they, they do some more planning and have a more strategic strike because the strike that happens in this, I definitely get the feeling that they had a lot more information about the Republic because of the way that they're, you know, they brought in the dark Jedi and then they brought in uh sis Rogan, the Jedi turned Sith Lord from cross current and all that stuff. And, and those people bringing in additional information to help give them that overall picture and the idea of what they plan to do with the Sith. I mean, if they're not going to go with them being a Sith species, then there would be a, a vastly different retooling needed to adopt elements of this for canon. I, I could see this being more like taking Thrawn from the, uh, air to the empire trilogy and making Thrawn canon, but nothing else about that series canon, you know, taking the, the conflict between the Sith and the Republic and and having just about that be about it you know um
1: yeah basically the the skeleton of the story but changing all of the uh the the, the meat
0: right right it. and and you could still do a ludo crash and you could still do a, a nagasado uh you can still have a marcus ragnus type character and have that kind of element plot there i don't see that being a problem But there's still a lot that I think that the story group and and the Star Wars as an IP has to decide about what they want to do with the Sith because there's so much potential that they, you know, and so much room for creativity right now that once they pick a direction, it's going to immediately cut that potential in over half because, you know, so they got to have a game plan before they go forward. Um, Yeah. Well, my man, I, I don't know if you have anything else, but I think that about wraps it up. I think that is all
1: my thoughts on it. I'm uh, looking forward to see how we, we go forward from here um, because like I said, you're going to, from here we jump uh, back in release publishing to the first of the tales of the Jedi series, which really wasn't a series on at first because it was just like a, <laughs> a two issue comic that eventually got expanded to with four more issues and that eventually became the first arc, and they built off another arc off of that. And so the the, the next um, the next arc is kind of one of those that's a, a, a amalgamation of a bunch of other stuff. And so it'll be interesting to go back and see how some of the really early um, legends comics uh, started to shape up.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that next story, what that's the uh, Ulic Queldroma and the Beast Wars of Andara. Yes. Um, a thousand years from now. And in fact, ironically, as of today in 2020, you can follow the story that's set between this story that we just talked about and the next story set a thousand years from now because the old Republic MMO is set during that time frame. When you're looking at the historical events, it is Full of things that happen, but they all happen in that game. So, I mean, the the cool thing is, is that game is still going on. They're still providing new content to this day. That era is still growing, and there are things out there. I still haven't even learned up on all of it. There's just so much about that game that has happened. There's really cool timeline videos you can check out. Uh, There's cutscenes that you can see on YouTube. It's kind of a really cool thing that had Legends not gone paused you probably would have had a lot more stories set in that era because we were getting stories set in that era. Uh, We didn't have just Revan, uh, but there was also, uh, Oh yeah. The Knights of the old
1: Republic comic series by John Jackson Miller, Mm -hmm. which is some of my favorite comic series. I love Knights of the old Republic uh, comics. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you had the two uh, Knights of the old Republic games um, set in that time period, and which all wrap up into the the old republic, which is still going. I don't think they're really updating it as much anymore, but I know that the, it's still going strong. So they kind of I, I tease out updates to keep people happy.
0: Right. I mean, I'm looking at what we've got. Uh... The old Republic deceived happens at that, in that time frame, fatal Alliance, annihilation. Oh
1: yeah. All, this, I mean, all are, the all the quite
0: books. a bit of stories that, that eventually start taking place.
1: Yeah. All the books associated with the old Republic uh, game that they released. And that's,
0: what's nuts is, I mean, cause do, I did more research on vidatat just for this episode. Cause I wanted to see that. I mean, that's a guy that affected the, uh, the galaxy for over 1500 years. Um, I mean, so, I mean, his story arc goes way even past the Ulic and the uh, Onderon arc. Like, it's just, it's an amazing story in and of itself and how they managed to tell it and keep everything about that story in the shadows and the way it works for the story is also why it makes sense that you never hear about that stuff in the other stories. And I think that's a brilliant aspect of how they did a lot of this, you know, with the Sith, like, Oh, they all died out. The species died out. And yet still there was like one or two that survived and how they got there and what happened with Omen and Harbinger. It's just a really awesome era. Even if the stories aren't all 100% excellently told, they're a fun ride. Nonetheless,
1: definitely. I would say, yeah, I agree with you that, uh, the 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 story quality kind of goes up and down but overall it's a fun ride it's a, they they are fun stories ah,
0: now that about wraps up this episode of star wars beyond the films we'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom remember you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the star wars report website Second Airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com episodes are also available on zune stitcher as well as spotify and on itunes and always we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it you can find links to our episodes on both our twitter and facebook Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It is literally the best way to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars or Legends questions, or if you have any comments about past episodes fire off, you can always email us directly at SW Beyond Films at Star Wars Wars dot com. And speaking of past episodes, you can find them all at www.starwarsreport.com beyond the films. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible Trial. If you go to starwarsreport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genre without being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months yep, that's one year with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Jim. Saying thanks for listening and may the Force be with you.
1: And don't quote us the odds that Empress Tita doesn't go around just randomly genociding other species.
0: Right. Dude, she's she's hardcore. I mean, think about that first part of the Unification War. She's was uh, no-nonsense, take no BS from nobody.
1: Yeah. We, you had Oru. we wondered what happened to his other species. Well, apparently, she wasn't happy with the way he performed in it. The... Right. He wiped out his entire form.
0: Off with that species!